0: perfect home sweet home
2: brought to you by Toyota let's go places welcome to forward thinking
3: hey there everyone and welcome to forward thinking the podcast that looks at the future and says did you ever know that you're my hero I'm Jonathan Strickland <laughs> Um. <laughs> Come on!
1: I'm Jonathan Strickland.
4: I'm Lauren Volkelbaum.
1: I'm Joe McCormick. That's the best one yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, okay.
3: I mean, it's thematic, right? We're talking about wind power today.
1: The future. Yeah, the
3: future of wind power. It's but be- big fans. <laughs> yes, big fans.
4: Increasingly large ones. Right. Um, fans the size of planets. Yes,
3: we're 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 talking. <laughs> we're a little loopy today. Uh, we're talking about wind power today, and uh, before we talk about the future of it, obviously, we should probably set up, you know, the fact that. What's the past of wind power? What is wind power? How do we harness wind power? And, uh, how long have we been doing that?
4: Well, uh, I think the important fact here to, to think about is how is wind created? And that is, that is basically when the sun heats an area of land and the air above that land absorbs some of the heat, making it warmer and therefore less dense than, than air that might be hanging out above it. Um, at a certain point it'll suddenly rise and that cool air above it will rush down to fill the space. That is how wind is essentially created.
3: Right, And wind exerts a force. It pushes. So Mm -hmm. anything that pushes has the capacity to do some sort of work. If we can only figure out a way of, uh, channeling it and harnessing it.
1: Uh, the ancients did, actually. They had wind turbines, too. They were called windmills. Yeah,
3: windmills, uh, very, very similar to, to turbines. In this case, you're not talking about generating electricity. You're talking about turning some sort of mill well, that could crush stuff.
1: Right, you're just moving kinetic force from one place to another. Right, there, you're, but you're, you're translating uh,
3: it. A little bit.
1: But say, yeah, you, you build a big tower and you make some big blades that the wind will turn when it blows, and that turns a crank that, say, crushes grain into flour. Right. Uh, or maybe... Um, uh, like moves a water wheel or, or a water pump to, um, to, to pull water, pull right. water up from a, a pole, right. river or lake. Yep, yep.
3: And, uh, also, I mean, we've been harnessing wind in other ways, obviously. Sailing would be a big win. You yeah. Know, using sails. We've
4: to- had, had sailboats since about 3000 BCE. Uh, I, and, I remember and these fancy well. windmills. Yeah. You, you're, you're getting up there, yeah, yeah. you know. And we've had those fancy windmills since about, well, it, it, it's, it's, people people aren't really sure it's, Yeah, it's, there's there's not it's something between 200 and 2000 BCE i know that that's a large time yeah
3: span, it's but. you know things like that don't tend to last uh throughout the millennia but we've been using the wind to do work for us for quite some time now as far as using wind in the sense of creating electricity that's Far more recent. Uh, in fact, it was really the, around the 1980s when that technology had reached a level of sophistication where we could, you know, put it to practical use.
4: oh uh, right. In rural areas, as early as like the 1920s or 30s, uh, windmills were supplying a little bit of electricity where basically the power lines weren't going.
3: But... Yeah, yeah. But for anything for like a, a significant amount of electricity, you really have to look at the fairly recent past. And even then, it was a little shaky. A lot of the uh, wind turbines that went up in the 80s were uh, made out of material that wasn't necessarily um, ideal didn't last very long Uh, there were a lot of uh, maintenance issues uh, wind power turbines
1: broke down fairly frequently yeah. in a lot of those early wind farms. And they, they were they, covered they were... in all those neon signs. So it was just...
4: <laughs> they were really only producing about 150 kilowatts, uh, yeah. like ideally of energy, which is nothing really compared to today.
1: Right, right.
3: And so, you know, they're, they're actually there's some some interesting abandoned wind farms in various parts of the United States, including Hawaii. I've seen some uh, uh, some pictures of a wind farm in Hawaii where the wind turbines haven't been producing electricity for years uh but they're still standing there no one's hanging out like big
4: pinwheels yeah
3: yeah yeah. and in fact there are there are some wind turbines out there that are not producing electricity they they turn because uh the companies want them to continue to turn to force oil through the various uh, uh workings of the system but they're not actually generating electricity however to an outside observer who doesn't know that That's what's going on. It may look like they're fully functional. However, let's talk about what they're actually doing, how they're converting kinetic energy into electric energy, and uh, it's a pretty simple design, really. So you've got uh, these long rotor blades that are designed to, you know, catch the wind. The wind will push these blades and turn the turn them. They're on a hub that rotates. The hub is actually attached to a main shaft and the main shaft will also turn you know it's it rotates as well due to the rotational force that we get from these blades and uh, it usually runs through some sort of gearbox where the gears will translate that into a faster rotational force cuz you know if you use different size gears you can uh, you can change the speed the the revolutions per minute really that will then go through a generator and a generator essentially uses magnets to uh, rotate past a conductor, and that, you know, once you have a conductor in the presence of a fluctuating magnetic field, you induce current to flow, right? So if you are able – Joe's just, just looking at me like, you're talking magic no, I'm talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> it
1: was like, <laughs> magnets, but how do
3: they work? <laughs> That's an excellent question. We'll cover that in a different episode. So anyway, uh, yeah, the rotational uh, motion of the magnets creates this fluctuating magnetic field, which you then – with the conductor can – Used to generate electricity, um, so that's that's the basic design. That's pretty much been the same way since we started building wind turbines, and it's very similar to the way other turbines work. Not just wind turbines; steam turbines are very similar. You know, obviously it's it's using steam, not wind, but mm-hmm. same sort of general idea. Um, now, you guys have, I guess, seen wind turbines. I don't know if you've ever seen them in person. Have you ever seen one in person? Like an actual like wind farm?
4: I don't think I have. I think I might have flown over them yeah. at one
1: point. Uh, but... I think I've seen them in California.
3: I've seen them uh, in Salt Lake City. There's uh, There was a an area I went to in Salt Lake City where there was a, a wind farm right outside of Salt Lake. And uh, there were quite a few there, actually. It was kind of interesting. We kept driving by it
1: and realizing, oh, good. Now we're 30 minutes away from the hotel. I tell you what I've seen a lot of, though, is stock images of them <laughs> Because for some reason, we are just rich with stock images that is
3: true well if you've seen them in person or even just an image as long as you get a sense of scale you notice that they're pretty tall right they're they're they can be a couple hundred feet tall 300 feet tall sometimes i mean these are big structures and the reason for that is that the winds tend to be more stable and steady at higher altitudes at ground level you may not be able to get uh, a steady wind for any length of time and and it may not be, you know, strong enough to turn the turbines. They really need to turn at a speed of about, uh, well, you need to get a wind of around 12 to 14 miles per hour minimum, which is about 19 to 22 kilometers per hour in force for it to really turn these, these blades properly. And you get a much better, uh, steady supply of wind at a higher altitude, which is why these things are so tall. And they do tend to generate between around 50 to 300 kilowatts of energy, depending upon the design of the turbine. No two turbines are, you know, they aren't created equally, depending upon who made them and uh, how they were designed. And um, they're not, uh, their efficiency ranges quite a bit, too. And that depends heavily on where you put them and uh and just the design of the wind turbine as well and by efficiency i mean how frequent how often are they actually generating electricity so a lot of the capacity for a wind turbine is de- is uh, determined by if the turbine were turning at 24 hours a day, seven days a week, constantly, if there was a constant supply of wind, here's how much electricity that turbine would generate. And then you have the number. But in reality, that tends to be a much smaller percentage than the overall.
1: In yeah. most
4: places, the wind is not going 24 hours a day. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah, I would imagine that gets more business during the daytime, right? Well, it all depends. all depends
3: on where it is, really. But uh, – uh, well when we talk we'll talk a bit about the pros and cons of, of wind energy when we get toward the end of this episode and I'll give a few more details on percentages as for uh, you know how efficient these things can be and uh, it really heavily depends upon where you put them but uh, you know we we've we've got that basic design down uh, it's it, it, people have recognized that it's got an it's it's got an interesting approach to harvesting uh the wind and getting electricity out of it that's something that uh, appeals to a lot of people because it means being able to shift some of our dependency on say uh, uh greenhouse gas emitting forms of uh generating electricity but it's there's still some problems with it so there've been a lot of people looking into ways of innovating in the space and i wanted to talk about some of those so have you guys heard of the solar wind energy tower? Have you no looked? Uh, Joe, you have heard about this, right? You're just kind of grinning at me. You want to hear what it looks the like? One in China? No, no, no,
1: no. Oh, sorry. No, okay. no,
3: no. It's not one in China. This is one that are actually they're they're talking about building one in like the Mojave Desert. But um all right, so imagine ma- imagine a tower. It looks you know kind of like a cooling tower that you would see at a nuclear power plant. But all right, so this tower is hollow. So, like a hollow cylinder, and at the base of the tower is a ring of turbines that faces so that the, the blades are facing, so that they're facing into the tower, so wind coming from the middle of the tower going out would turn the turbine blades, okay? Now, you put this in a desert where the air is very, very hot and very, very dry, and at the very top of the tower is a water injection system, and they pump water up the tower, and uh, the water gets sprayed in a fine mist. That fine mist ends up saturating that dry, hot air, which makes it heavier and makes it start to rush down the center of the tower. And so it's kind of like a reverse chimney in a way. That air rushes down and it hits the the ground and goes out through the turbines, turning the turbine blades.
4: So rather than harvesting wind, you're creating your own.
1: Yeah, you're making wind. Sounds kind of like... Uh... Uh, that's a terrible way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of similar to geothermal somehow, like you're pouring water down there to create the steam from the heat.
3: Yeah, in this case you're just using a very fine mist to create heavy air, and then you channel that heavy air down through the turbine blades. Uh, it's an interesting idea, supposedly the, uh, the wind speeds hit pretty, a pretty gusty uh, level when it gets to the bottom, somewhere around 50 miles per hour, so that's, that's That's a decent, that's a decent breeze. there are some disadvantages. Uh, these things are, are tall. They're big. They're like 200 feet tall. That's, so it's still, you know, a large thing that you have to build. And you're limited to where you can build them. Uh, you can, you know, you can't just put these suckers like in, here in the southeast, we've got really high humidity. So injecting the air with water would not necessarily create the effect we would need. We would have to have it in a very dry...
4: Right, area. right. You, you put one of those suckers in Florida and people are like, there's no change. Yeah, this it's is... like a
3: swamp cooler but, uh-huh. in Florida. It doesn't do <laughs> any good.
1: Yeah, though, uh, pretty much all wind power is subject to geographical limitations. Sure. Right? Sure. Wind power is very uh dependent on places where there's a lot of wind. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, obviously that's one of the odd things about it. Yeah. I
3: know uh, it's it's <laughs> uh, and it really does make it challenging. I mean, your point your point is extremely valid. I mean, uh cuz the electricity you generate, you're likely not going to be transporting that huge distances, right? It's not like the, uh, the Mojave Desert is going to generate all the electricity for everybody on the eastern seaboard. That doesn't, that doesn't really make any sense. So, uh, these are, that's another limitation that we have to talk about. Uh, but that was one of those things that I thought was kind of interesting. This idea of this, this tower system, uh, it's really more like a, a proof of concept right now. It's not like something that's been widely rolled out. You can go to their website and check out the, uh, information there. They have lots of, um, of little videos and things. The solar wind energy tower is what I'm talking about. So go check that out and you can see exactly, you know, like little animations on how this is supposed to work. Uh, but another one is kind of the, you know, the idea of if you go to those higher altitudes, you can harness, uh, those steady winds, but even 300 feet may not be high enough. And yet you don't want to build towers that are going way up into the sky, it makes it very dangerous, and not a lot of people would be very thrilled with that. So what if you could just fly something up at the right altitude and then channel the electricity you generate back down?
4: Yeah, uh, uh these these air drones Yeah, that uh, we talked about, in, or you talked about, I was there in the video episode.
3: Yeah, yeah, there's one called the uh, Makani uh, Power Drone, which is uh kind of interesting. Alright, so imagine a wing, a flying wing uh, that's like designed a stealth
1: bomber kind
3: of. thing? Yeah, it doesn't quite look like that. It looks almost like uh, for the early sketches look more like a biplane almost. Oh, okay. But it's uh, it's supposed to be a flying wing that is at least partially designed to mimic a uh the end of a blade on one of these turbines. So. Uh, it has these little propellers on the front that can act as both propellers and turbine blades. So if you spin them one way, they're propellers, and then if you let the wind blow them the other way, you turn off the power, you let the wind blow them, they can actually turn a direct generator uh, and generate electricity.
4: Huh. Uh, th- th- this is all playing into the fact that all of these, all of these turbines, the, the, the airfoils are designed to create lift the same way that an airplane would yeah. um, in order to take off. Uh, and, you know, that that's just creating a... a An area of of pressure differential between the the top and the bottom, or I, I guess top and bottom doesn't really apply necessarily to vertical blades, but yes, you're creating a low pressure system that's going to end up
3: turning this yeah creating mm-hmm. that creating that force of turning because otherwise if you if you didn't uh angle it just right then you wouldn't get that that rotational force out of it so the way this one works is imagine that you got a little pedestal and on that pedestal you have this this drone thing that looks like a biplane with several little propellers in the front of it uh the wind at uh, the right elevation which would be between 250 to 600 meters that's about 800 to 1950 feet somewhere around that range. Let's say that the wind is perfect. So the pedestal would tilt back, uh, putting the uh, aircraft into launch position. So now the little propellers are facing essentially straight up. They start spinning, it creates the lift, the uh, power is being channeled through a tether, so there's a tether on a ground station that's also attached to this little aircraft. Now the aircraft doesn't have to have batteries, it doesn't have to have fuel, because it's getting all of its electricity through that tether. That means that the aircraft itself is incredibly light. So it then will take off until it gets to the right altitude, the tether will become taut, and it will then tilt into the wind and fly in a kind of wacky a little almost like well a circular formation that more or less mimics the pathway that a turbine blade would go through and uh it would do this harnessing the the wind power the wind would be blowing those little propellers that have now are turbine blades and uh they don't have to go through uh a a main shaft gearbox kind of thing they have a direct uh they just have little tiny magnets there they have a direct generator right there on the aircraft itself, which reduces the complexity and size of the aircraft. And then all the electricity goes back down through the tether to the ground station, which is pretty cool. Now, so that means you can actually harness the air that's at a higher altitude without building a huge tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes up less space. It takes up uh, less materials to build it. According to the website, uh, the typical aircraft would cost 50 percent of a traditional turbine. So you have cost savings from that on that side of things. And um it was it's such an interesting idea that uh, a very large company took interest in it and decided to uh, help them out but to the tune of acquiring the company. <laughs> so uh,
4: yeah that would be Google.
3: That is true. Google in May of 2013 purchased Makani Power and now it is part of Google X which is their division where they really look into uh, environmentally friendly ways of generating electricity. Both because, you know, Google kind of has this mission to um to really help help just the environment in general, but also how can they provide electricity to their massive data centers in a way that's, you know, environmentally responsible and also economically feasible,
1: you know? Uh, so. And they just generally seem to be into making the future happen.
3: Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're kind of, yeah. They, well, and they're definitely not afraid of trying things, even if those things never really pan uh, out.
1: They can afford it. Yeah. They
3: can. <laughs> so yeah. there, there are people who are skeptical that this approach and the other air-based ones I'm about to talk about are, uh, are going to work out, but it's possible. Uh, another one, actually I'll go ahead and, and pair two of these together. Uh, there's one called Ampix and one called Windlift. Both of these use a very similar method to generate electricity. So these are two, uh, gliding type aircraft. One of them is more like a kite that's wind lift. And the other one looks more like a, looks kind of similar to the Makani power one. But in each case, these are uh, uh, designed to fly up into the air to glide it at these altitudes. And the way they generate electricity is not by turning little turbines. Uh, the tether itself ends up allowing them to have a, a ground-based generator and pulling the tether ends up creating the, the kinetic energy you need to generate the electricity on the ground. So instead of generating the electricity in the air and sending it down, it's like, you know, kind of like if you have, I mean, t- this is totally different model here but let's say you need to start your motor on your gas on your, uh, on your thinking, lawnmower yeah,
1: you're getting the sky to start your lawnmower yeah
3: it's, it's kind of <laughs> like that except instead of a motor we're talking about a generator but yes similar similar idea and both of them are uh designed to do that so the way it works is that you let the wind pull the 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 aircraft out to the maximum length of the tether and then you then uh, start to uh, have the aircraft dive down and then you gently take in the slack of the tether which will actually consumes some of the electricity that you've generated but hopefully a much smaller amount than the overall amount you've generated and you let it go back out again generating more electricity and you do that over and over and over again
4: what i'm thinking is that really we can capitalize on children's ability to play with kites if we just if we just send an army of of children out with
3: yeah.
4: attached
1: to generators yeah uh, children you know, are bored with kites i'm just days. saying they look, just play with their iPhones. here's
3: here's how i say forget the kites if this power is generated by pulling, you know, pulling a cord attached to a generator, just attach the cord directly to the kids and have them run around. There you, you got it. <laughs> That's you it. You take the kites out of it.
4: Energy uh, problem solved, you yeah. guys. Good work. Yeah. Good right, work today. Right,
3: right. We, we solved two problems. Kids <laughs> and our electricity <laughs> <laughs> crisis. Uh, no, uh, so, so moving on, there are two more, uh, air-based ones I want to talk about. They're very similar, uh, in that these are two lighter-than-air solutions. So there's one that's, uh, the Majin Power, which is a helium based one where it's, it, it, they have a, <laughs> a gadget called Mars, which is their, uh, inflatable, uh, helium balloon generator thing. Think of it like a giant inflatable turbine. So it's, it's kind of tricky to think about. All right. So think of like a big balloon. All right. It's roundish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've got on, Either side of the balloon, along its horizontal axis, you've got the uh, little generators that are hooked up to a tether that go down to the ground. And uh, if you were to look along the edge of the balloon, like uh, if you were to cut the balloon in half vertically, instead of cutting it in half, along that slice, you've got little ridges. Where the wind can catch. Okay. So if the wind catches the balloon there, it makes the balloon turn along that horizontal axis. Mm. So the entire balloon is like a, a giant inflatable turbine. Uh, you put that up into the right altitude. You let the wind turn this balloon in the air. That in turn allows the uh, the generators to generate electricity. You send that back down to the, the ground. The other one is the Alteros, which is a donut shaped balloon. Toroid. Yeah. It's yeah, it's favorite. a toroid. It's my
4: favorite yeah. silly word that just means donut. Right. It, yeah.
3: yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It is so you can imagine the sort of donut shape, this this balloon shell. In the center where the hole is, that's where you have a turbine mounted. There, it's got uh, some uh, some some mounting um, rods that hold it in place from the the center of this donut hole. And that you can float up to the right altitude, and then wind will blow the turbine blades just as it would if it were supported on a stand as opposed to being suspended in the middle of this giant helium balloon. And uh, all of these are interesting ideas. They've all been shown off in various prototype stages. Uh, we don't have any real like wide uh, rollout of any of these yet, but they all seem at least feasible... I don't know how plausible it is to have them as, uh, as generating meaningful amounts of power. But it's interesting to see the innovation, and I hope that it leads to practical application.
4: Oh, certainly. Yeah. No. But based on, I mean, because some of the some of the problems that people have with wind turbines are are the fact that they that they are potentially changing the environment that they're in.
3: Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the pros and cons of, of wind turbines and wind power. All right. So, I mean, okay, uh, smaller greenhouse gas emission, you know, smaller carbon
1: footprint, right? Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. That's actually, okay. Well, so here's one thing that's, that, that uh, people have started to realize is helpful. Um, because obviously when a wind turbine is turning, it's not burning any, any carbon based thing, it's not releasing any greenhouse gases doing that. Uh, right. Some,
4: some vertical axis wind turbines, um, do need a little bit of startup
1: juice. Okay.
4: But, but for the most part, yeah. Yeah,
1: but it, it's not Once like it gets it's going. running a car engine, you know. Right. <laughs> right. Just right. A spilling. But the production, the implementation, um, all power sources do have some kind of greenhouse gas emission. Um, and so one thing that's important to look at is the life cycle analysis of a kilowatt hour produced by any given type of energy. Sure. So how does wind power stack up from, you know, this cradle to grave analysis? Well, uh, according to a report I found that um, was uh, reprinted by the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, Ah,
3: thank, nice, thank you. <laughs> laboratory, <laughs> laboratory,
1: appreciate, it. appreciate uh, that. That's funded by the Department of Energy, and they offered an overall LCA report that found uh, wind, both offshore and land-based together, produced about eleven grams of CO two equivalent per kilowatt hour of electricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's compared to about a thousand grams for Oof. coal. So wow. so significantly so fewer. That's,
4: yeah, a bunch.
1: That's, uh, what, <laughs> more, what
4: than, more than 1%. Yeah, <laughs> more than 2, yeah. Um or, or not more than 2% more than Less, less.
1: than 2. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh so yeah, like compared to fossil fuel burning, the overall life cycle analysis says wind is a whole lot better in right. terms of greenhouse gas emissions. Right. It's um Generally considered pretty comparable to other renewables like right. uh, like solar or hydroelectric.
3: Right. So, and that's that's another key is that we're talking about a renewable energy source. It's not mm-hmm. like uh, it's not like something that we could feasibly run out of. Although, uh, as we were saying before we started this podcast, there is always the chance that climate change over time could shift where the windiest spots are. So, if you're talking about some of the more permanent. Uh, wind farms that could potentially maybe – and it may not be for a really long time – but uh, it could potentially change how effective they are, just whether or not they get as much wind as they did when you first built them. Oh,
4: well, uh, Sure.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, wind is not going away, but it might be going somewhere, meaning that weather patterns changing, especially due to something like climate change, sure. could say move a jet stream from one
2: place sure. to another. Right. Uh,
4: there's also some evidence that that wind farms themselves could be causing local weather changes. Say what? Say what? No, there was a study published in uh, Nature Climate Change in 2012, and this was taking satellite data from, from NASA's Aqua and Terra satellites, and it found that the land surface temperature around four Texas wind farms had warmed at a rate of .72 degrees Celsius, which is about 1.3 degrees Fahrenheit, over, um, over the course of about 10 years of data.
3: That's a, that's a significant warming. Which is, right which there. is a
4: bunch. Yeah. If you guys listen to our climate change episode, I mean, that's, that's... That's significant. That's yeah. a bunch. Um, and they, they think that what's going on here is that the, the, the turbines are mixing that hot and cool air, especially at night. They're, they're pulling warm air that's risen during the day back down to the ground and causing this warming and, and that, you know, they don't know what's gonna happen with that. And so no one really knows what effect this could possibly have. I mean, you know, not only on whether or not the the wind pattern is going to change, but obviously on the environment around these wind farms.
3: And there are other uh, environmental concerns as well. For example, I've often heard uh, concerns about wind farms and uh, the the health of the local wildlife, uh, specifically bats and birds. Birds
4: and bats. Yeah did did you did you look into this one, Joe? You're you're giving me a blank look of fear. Yeah. Well, I I know I. <laughs> I don't know about birds, but I think, but with bats, one of the theories is that okay, so they've got all these dead bats around wind farms, and and it's not that they're getting caught up in the turbines or something like mm-hmm. that. There's a theory that the low pressure areas created by the mixing agency of of of, of that wind, um, bat lungs are very sensitive, and so when they enter very suddenly a pocket of low pressure air, they could be Swelling and expanding so much that they burst blood vessels and kind of spontaneously
3: just just drop. Golly! Um, uh, well, I, beyond that, I know that uh, a lot of wind farms tend to generate uh, sounds that are well outside the frequency of human hearing, but I imagine that that for some animals might be somewhat uh, distressing as well.
4: Infrasound, yeah. yes. Um, and this this is a big part of what is referred to as wind turbine syndrome. Yeah, which is not. Okay, it has never been proved or disproved in a laboratory anywhere. It was named by a pediatrician, uh, Dr. Nina Pairpoint, whose husband happens to be an anti-wind activist.
1: Huh.
4: Uh, <laughs> yeah. And whose study involved a small sample of phone interviews with no controls or peer reviewing involved.
3: Right. Hmm. Um, so, so, but, the- <laughs> but,
4: um, but, but lots of people have reported, um, Kind of colloquially, from living around wind farms, um, all kinds of symptoms from headaches to sleep problems, night terrors and learning disabilities in children, ringing in the ears, mood problems, concentration, memory problems, and uh, issues with like with like dizziness and and nausea. Right. So, and,
3: and I would say, I mean, my my first inclination here is to say that people are. Uh, uh, s- are identifying symptoms and then are going in search of a problem, uh, that that would be my, that's my inclination. I'm not saying that that's what's happening, but that's, that's kind of the feeling I get simply because we've seen this sort of thing happen in other, uh, Areas before things like living near power lines or being uh, really sensitive to Wi-Fi. That whenever we put this up to any kind of double-blind test, the the supposed uh, effects seem to disappear. Now this has not been put to that, and because of the infrasound, there is at least a uh, maybe not plausible, but a possible explanation that it could it could very well be contributing to some effects that we don't fully understand so it's you know one of those things where we definitely need someone to take a look at it from a very scientific point of view and find out if there really is an actual effect here because that could be the case i'm skeptical Uh but it doesn't mean that it's impossible
4: Certainly, there have been laboratory studies that have confirmed that infrasound has an effect on human people. I mean, but biologically speaking, there there aren't a lot of things recorded. When, when you get intense enough infrasound for long enough, you can have stuff like hearing loss. We know that from people working in factories, for example. But in these are modern times. We're surrounded by infrasound. It's, it's not like it's nowhere. And, and basically, the primary effect is annoyance which, clinically speaking, is, is a mix of sensitivity to a noise and anxiety about your sensitivity to the noise, right. which, which kind of conflates into something that can, that can cause things like chronic sleep loss, which has a lot of the symptoms that are reported in wind turbine syndrome. So, I mean, so you're, you're, you're talking about minor body, body vibration, um, you know, increased sensitivity to and, and a lack of coping with, a continual noise, um, which can lead to other psychological stuff like, like lower work performance and increased stress.
3: Right. And then you have the addition of any other symptoms you might be suffering from completely unrelated sources, oh, which
4: you attribute then to, or, or which goes into that anxiety. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah. Then you have the escalation of anxiety problems. And, and so it just becomes an, a big issue is, and we honestly, we don't know, again, like I said, uh, What, if any extent, the wind farms contribute to this sort of stuff? Uh, there are people who have gone so far as to say, yes, this is what is causing all these issues, uh, but we don't have any actual scientific evidence of that. I, and like I said, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical that they're as rough as, uh, as they've been made out to be. Uh,
1: seems like the kind of thing that it would be fairly easy to design a very good scientific test for. oh sure oh, it'd sure. be very easy and and, and, and record
4: <laughs> re- reco- i mean you can certainly record the vibration of wind farms and there there are technologies that are being uh researched and implemented into dampening the vibration of, of of sound and equipment around wind farms um you know from 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 pads that that dampen the structure vibration to um like counter vibrations to cancel out things that are being created by the turbines
3: gotcha so, yeah, that's kind of interesting. So there are other some other issues with wind turbines obviously. Uh there one of them is the whole concept of intermittency. Just the same issue that you have with a lot of other renewable sources like solar energy, which is that it's not always windy, just like it's not always sunny, except in Philadelphia. Um so you've got this issue where if it's not if the wind's not always blowing, then you're never going to be producing electricity at full capacity. So remember earlier I said that wind turbines typically if you you hear like oh well it Generates 300 kilowatts. Uh, that's based on it operating at full capacity for as long as its operating life is, which tends to be a couple decades, 20 to 30 years in general. Um, so that's great if it were operating at full capacity all the time, but it's not. Uh, in fact, most of them are operating at around 20% capacity. Um, if you are able to build them offshore, where winds are more consistent. You might be able to get that up to about 40%, but that's still. I guess,
4: I mean, compared to solar panels, you're doing pretty good there. I well, mean, and
3: even then you're talking about it's 40% of the time it's operational. It's not even, not saying it's 40% efficiency in the sense of, uh, it's converting 40% of the wind into right, energy, which right. is what we're talking about with solar energy. It's like, you know out of the 100% of solar energy that's hitting a solar panel How much we're able to come yeah. so uh, to like really, 20% on a
4: really good day you're talking about 20% yeah
3: yeah if you're talking about a, on a, a really bu-
4: good tec- technology you're talking yeah. about 20% yeah. right
3: in, in the lab you might be able to boost that just below 50% but that's in the lab which you know, as we all know most of the solar panels not in the lab <laughs> um so yeah intermittency is a problem and efficiency is a problem uh and the amount of power they can provide, that all depends again on the, the design of the solar, uh, solar panel, the wind turbine. And, uh, like some of them could generate enough power to supply 600 homes on a single wind turbine, which is pretty interesting. If you got a, a wind farm of significant size, you could definitely support a, a small to medium sized community. Which is not a bad thing at all. I mean, but it's still, you know, it's, it's, it's small potatoes when you compare it to the overall population of a country as large as say the United States. Clearly, wind energy, at least in the implementations that we have right now, and I would argue even in the Case that we are able to create these new and improved type of wind farms, uh, I don't think we're going to say that wind energy is going to become the the the, the patch that's going to replace carbon based uh, power systems right now, but it can certainly offset them.
4: Oh sure, yeah. Uh, as of I think through the end of twenty eleven, about three percent of all U.S. power was coming from wind farms. So you know, Man. room to improve.
1: Yes, certainly. <laughs> that's uh, more than
3: I would have guessed. Uh, there's there's some there are a lot of, uh, surveys that talk, or reports that talk about the, uh, amazing growth of, uh, of the wind power industry, but you have to remember that when you have so few, comparatively speaking, uh, even doubling in size doesn't mean that it's a lot but it's a punch, right? right like so, if i had yeah. 3 wind farms and now i've got 6 wind farms i experienced 100% growth but <laughs> but it doesn't you know that doesn't translate into an overwhelming amount of electricity in the long run uh, there are a lot of people who have brought up the economic Problems of wind farms. Specifically, they are pretty expensive to build and they can be expensive to continue to have them working in proper order. I mean, depending upon who it was that made the parts, it may be very difficult to keep them in working order. And it, if the company that made those parts goes out of business, then you have to figure out how to repair things that break down over time. Uh, and I think, I think there are a lot of parts of the world that are kind of burnt out on wind power because in those early days in the 1980s when these these uh, wind farms were popping up all over the place because a lot of governments were giving major subsidies.
4: Oh, we were also having a big oil crisis yeah, around the world then. So. Exactly.
3: We had an oil crisis, so there was a, a huge incentive to get off of oil as much as possible. Uh, and then we had government subsidies that were very, very much attractive to investors who thought they could make huge amounts of money back by investing in wind farms Uh it it the overall result was that not all the wind farms that went up were particularly well built, uh, not all of them were able to be maintained because once the subsidies started to drift away, the there was kind of like a bubble burst. Right? It's kind of like seeing you know this if the government support starts to go away, then the major source of actual money going into that that uh, that whole uh, venture has gone away. It makes the thing kind of dissipate, which is sad because. Obviously we do have a need for clean renewable energy. There's no denying that. It's just that if you can't make the money work mm-hmm. because of the way the world works, that really means that it's kind of a, you know, it's it's sort of a dream. Uh I like to think that with companies like Google behind wind power, we'll see some innovations that you know, it might take a generation or two for them to be implemented in a way that's uh, that's a pretty wide widespread. form, yeah. yeah. But I, I'm optimistic that that will happen. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen as quickly as most people would like. I think it's going to be much more gradual than that. That is no reason to give up. There's no reason to say, "Oh, if it's not going to happen tomorrow, then I don't want to work on this." Yeah, you know, right? Yeah. No. I've totally. Gotten-
4: I'd, I really like some of these ideas that, that you that you brought in to tell us about today.
3: Yeah, there's some some pretty cool ones. I love the I love the idea of the balloon based ones. I really want to see. I specifically want to see the Mars one in action. That giant balloon that's just turning in the sky. Uh, I kind of want to see what that looks like. So, um, yeah, if uh, if anyone wants to send me out and take a look at this in person, I'll I'll take I'll take that ticket. I'll go <laughs> see it. I don't mind. Uh, How
4: can they get in touch with us in order to send you some tickets? Hey, a ticket?
3: you know what? We've got a website. <laughs> And it is awesome. Joe, you do a great job working on that website. Why, thank you, sir. You are welcome. (laughs) That website, by the way, is fwthinking.com. And if you would like to see the hard work that Joe puts in, (laughs) go to fwthinking.com. That's where we have the videos, the blog posts, the podcast. We have links to articles. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Look for FW Thinking at both of those locations. And we will talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com.
1: Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.
0: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With Samuel Grease,